0: And so welcome today if you're visiting. And, and so thank you also to those of you who, this has been your home church for a really long time, and uh, you have made this welcome really, really easy and smooth. Uh, I've been doing a lot of stuff and a lot of big transitions that happen with a move like this. So thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. Uh, if you are a, a kid and you want to go to children's church um, um, age four, right, through third grade, and, and you can head out for that. But we would love for you to stay if that's something you want, parents, uh, we, we, don't, uh, we don't ask that you separate your families we love families that worship together as two so whatever uh is is what you like to do we'd love for you to take part in that hey um we are in uh, the midst of a series uh through the book of romans and um, i invite you to turn there to romans chapter 8 it's going to be up there on the screen in just a little bit um, but romans chapter 8 is in many people's opinion uh, the pinnacle of the scriptures did you know that Um, There are some quotes that I have up there on the screen. Martin Luther once wrote, Not only should every Christian know Romans word for word, by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. And again, we've, this is week eight. And, and so uh, I, I hope you found yourself kind of uh, longing for that. And it's been tasting really good because we're only halfway through and it's only going to get better and better. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said in the whole of the scriptures, the brightest and the most lustrous and flashing stone or a collection of stones, is this epistle to the Romans. And chapter 8 is the brightest gem in the cluster. And then Dr. Timothy Keller is recorded to have said that the Bible is the greatest volume ever written, and Romans is its greatest book and chapter eight is its greatest chapter, and I couldn't agree more. Those are three of my intellectual mentors, uh, and, and it is it is a just a privilege to launch my preaching ministry here at Emmaus Road in one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. Uh, this chapter has been called by many the great eight, so if my sermon is really, really bad this morning, if it sucks, then I'm in big trouble. Uh, just by means of introduction here this morning, the bar has been set really, really high. So would you pray right now with me and for me, before we open up the word of God together in this place. Heavenly Father, uh, you have done great things. And I'm th- so thankful that you have revealed yourself to us through scripture, which ultimately point us to Jesus, the perfect representation of the Godhead. And so come. Come. Holy Spirit, and do the work that you and you alone can do. Convict us of our sin and then point us to Jesus, the only solution to our sin problem. And we will give you thanks and praise for you alone are worthy of it. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn there, Romans 8, or otherwise it will be up there on the screen. Romans 8 verses 1 through 4, this is what we read. according to the Spirit. Now, Emmaus wrote, nowhere do we have more facts of God's love for us and the role of the Holy Spirit than we do here in Romans 8. Uh, Nowhere in all of the Bible do we have more facts about how God saves us, and what he saves us from and what he saves us to than here in Romans 8. But to understand Romans 8, you have to know Romans 7. And so hopefully you were here last week as Pastor Brandon unpacked all of that for us because Romans 8 is the answer to Romans 7. Last week, we saw that the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, can we all agree, was a Christian when he was writing Romans 7. It might sounded like he wasn't a Christian. Like, who is this guy that's writing this? This is just, this is just weird stuff. Like, this is confessing just real, real addiction to sin. He was, he was a Christian. And there's no doubt about that. Last week, we saw that he got to this place of really confessing his ongoing addiction to sin. And we saw that it wasn't just him, because if we're honest, we'd admit that we're just as bad, Right? Yes, we love Jesus with our heart, our mind, and our strength, but not all of it. And so on a church service like this on a Sunday, we can, we can worship with hands lifted high in praise and adoration, and our hearts are beating with his grace, and our minds are engaged on his word, but by lunch you're falling off the mountaintop you were just on because you're, you're trying to slap your kids upside the head because they're driving you nuts, right? Or you're on the website that you shouldn't be on, or you're gossiping about so-and-so, and on... And on and on we could go, right? It's been funny because a lot of people have, have come to me uh, over, over the, the last two weeks and have asked, you know, what have you been up to uh, since you've been here? How are things been going since you've got here, since you've arrived? Well, here's the thing. I've been doing a bunch of stuff. Um, but one of the things I've been loving to do is just kind of hopping in my car and just driving around town, getting used to the town and to the roads. And I've actually gone off into the, some surrounding towns where some of you live as well. And, uh, but here's the kicker. While I was doing some of that driving, um, um, I did a little recon because I wanted to, to find out a little bit about the people that I moved here for. And so while I was driving, I actually video recorded some of you. I hope you're, I hope you're okay with that. Um, you didn't know I was doing that? You didn't see me? I'm a good creeper, all right. First thing you know about me, there you go. Pastor's a creeper. No, um, but what I, what I did, what I did um, was, I, I did actually a little bit more than that. I've actually put a collection of what I got together. And so Emmaus Road, Emmaus Road, no joke, This is your life, take a look. Man, I miss Chris Farley. Um, <laughs> he's so good. Um, but man, that is you. It's so you. And get, but don't worry. Don't worry. It's me too. And it's Pastor Brandon and it's Matt and the elders here at Emmaus Road as well. That's everybody here in this place today. Can you confess that? Can, can you confess that what's wrong with you is You. And I feel that's how some of you have actually rolled in here today. You went out last week on fire for Jesus. You were, you were making all of these promises to do all this good Christian stuff. And, and you were just going to tell people about Jesus. You were going to memorize scripture. You were going to read your Bible. And, and you were going to abstain from all these kinds of sins. But it didn't go as planned for you. But here's the deal, gang. There's good news for you and for me here in this place today. There is. Because while we may have fallen off that mountaintop many times, in fact, some a lot faster and a lot harder than others, there is good news because there is grace and forgiveness in this place for us because there was one who was crucified on a mountain of sorts and his blood runs down to the lowest of loads where you and I reside and his name is Jesus. Amen? And if you recall from last week, that's how the Apostle Paul ends Romans 7. He asks, what a wretched man I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death? And notice here, he didn't say, what will deliver me? He, not like, not like what plan or, or how many steps or how many good deeds towards my neighbor. No, he writes, who? I need someone to do for me what I cannot do for myself. I need someone to save me for me, Paul says and it's not someone down here on earth because we're all sinners so it's not your spouse it's not your parents it's not a coach or a teacher it's not even us as pastors and paul answers this question doesn't he he says thanks be to god who can deliver me who will deliver me thanks be to god because deliverance that i need and we all need comes through christ jesus our lord emmaus wrote if you just start at romans 8 1 you miss the angst going on in romans 7. And the good news of the gospel is only good news until you realize how bad off you are on your own, right? Therefore, there is now no condemnation, Paul writes, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Gang, all of chapter 8, all of chapter 8, it's kind of like a, it's a sin almost to actually do one, one message on all of chapter 8. But all of chapter 8 can be summed up in just two words, two of the most beautifully combined words in the English language, no condemnation. Now, this word condemnation is a legal term. It's a legal term that literally means no charge or no debt. Emmaus wrote, in the grand judgment of your life, by a holy and perfect God who demands perfection from all of us, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there is no charge against you and there is no debt on your ledger. How amazing is that? Now, most of the time, a lot of us feel something very different, don't we? A lot of times we feel a whole bunch of condemnation, or at least some at some level. And most of the time when we use the word condemnation, we don't use it in the legal sense. We use it kind of like in the builder's sense. Do you know what I'm talking about? You see, if a building is condemned, someone has, has actually come in and inspected that building and, and has come to the conclusion that it's unfit for use. And if we're honest, many of us feel that that's a notice that God Almighty should just kind of slap on our forehead for all to see because of the things that we've done or haven't done that we should have done, like we learned about last week in Romans 7. In my previous church in New York, I got to meet Betty. And Betty had a lot of really hard things going on in her life, really, really hard. She had a lot of health issues that frequently put her in and out of the hospital, and and she was actually the primary caregiver of her mom who had her own issues, especially a lot of mental health issues that she was dealing with. And Betty was also still really providing for her two adult children who who were in and out of rehab all the time themselves, and and they lived in a town just north of me. And I met Betty one day digging through the trash cans, uh, looking for some bottles that she could uh, recycle for five cents each so she can get some money back because times are really tough and um and my heart broke for her and so i invited her out for lunch that day and we kind of got to talking and i found out it wasn't just her and her mom and her two kids that she was living with but also her four older sisters and her two younger brothers and her 17 nieces and nephews and this house was just packed to the brim and most of them were on government assistance and, and really no one had a steady job. And so they were just kind of scraping by to make ends meet. And they really had a hard time keeping the water going and, and the heat pumping and, and uh, the lights on and, and all the necessary upkeep of a home to keep it safe and in and livable shape. And we as a church stepped in from time to time, but, but it was really never really enough for them. And just before I left, I, I got word that Betty actually got a notice slapped on her front door. Um, as you guessed it, it it was condemned. So it was unlivable. You need to move out. And they gave her 30 days to get out. And and Betty and her family had been just kind of hopping from shelter to shelter from time to time. And when I was back, during my sabbatical, I got back out east and I got to connect with Betty just real quick, just happenstance. I think it was a God thing. It was a God thing. And she just embraced me and we just hugged and, And she said, "Pastor, houses come and go, um, but I feel like my life is just as broken, just as condemned, and the God that you believe in would never want to come and live with me." That kind of language, gang, is the language of the enemy. Satan looks at you and says, you're unfit for service. He reads out the condemning words of Romans chapter 7, but he leaves out that last part. He says, you know what's wrong with you? You're wrong with you. You're condemned. You're unfit for service in God's kingdom. You see, the crazy thing about that is that your feelings, your feelings will support that too, won't they? Now, here's the thing about your feelings. I'm going to give you two things. The first one is super quick, okay? Maybe you remember this little uh, lingo, this little line, Jimmy cracks corn and... I don't care. I don't care. I don't care about your feelings. Not that I care that you don't have feelings, but guys, you cannot let your feelings be the Lord of your life. You can't. You can't. And so here's the second thing. Let me tell you what will change your feelings. Facts. Facts will reshape your feelings. Here's what I mean by that. Let's say that you heard uh, some news that your parents actually died. You got this news, and I came up to you, and and I'm the one kind of just coming up to you, one of the first ones to come up to you. I said, man, cheer up. Cheer up. Things are going to be okay. And you're going to be like, man, get away from me. Like, just go, because I just got word that my parents have died. You see, in that moment, I don't think me telling you to cheer up would do anything for you. I mean, even if I quoted a ton of scripture out of context, like a lot of stupid Christians do sometimes, if you know what I'm talking about. And call me crazy, I don't think that would change your feelings all that much. But what if I told you that the information you got was actually wrong, that your parents actually didn't die, that they're actually okay, that they're actually gonna make it, and I've got proof of that because I was just with them. Would that change your feelings? Do you think that would change your feelings? You bet that would change your feelings. Facts should change your feelings. Gang, the reason I say all that is because Romans 8.1 is a fact. It's a fact. And when you get that spirit-infused fact, deeper and deeper down into you, you will begin to see the radical change that will take place in your life. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I know I'm meeting some of you for the very first time, and it's just been two weeks, but it's been a great two weeks, and, but I don't know all of your stories yet. I don't know them all that well. I've gotten to know a little bit here and there, but, but, but we really haven't connected on, on a deeper level with a lot of you, and so I'm sure there are some people here today, and you're like, Pastor Andrew, you don't know me, man. You don't know about my past. You don't know about what I'm currently struggling with. Pastor Andrew, um, maybe some of you are like, Pastor Andrew, I've had abortions. I've had multiple abortions. And uh, Pastor Andrew, I have actually taken physical life that was growing within me. and I feel so broken, so unfit for use in God's kingdom. Maybe you're like, man, I I cheated on my spouse. And no matter how hard I, I try to fix it, uh, they won't take me back, and I feel that God has just done with me too. Maybe you're like here this morning, man, I'm, I'm attracted to someone of the same sex, or I'm actually a homosexual, and nobody knows anything about it. Maybe you're like, man, I'm, I'm a drunk, Ted Beat dad, or I'm addicted to pornography, or I'm sleeping around with all these kind of guys in my high school, but my parents don't know anything, and I can't stop. I can't stop the drugs. I can't stop the eating. I can't stop the stealing. I can't stop the lying. And honestly, even in that moment, I know it's a sin, but I don't even care anymore. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's it's not just the things that you've done that are weighing you down, but it's also the things that you haven't done that you should have, and you're living with all that regret. Pastor Andrew, I should have taken the keys away from him because I knew he shouldn't be driving in the condition that he was in, but I didn't. I should have told my kids that I loved them more, but now, now our relationship is broken and it's severed. Pastor, it took a long time to forgive this person of what they did for me, did to me, and, and, and now, now now, that's just broken, and, and, and there's no chance of any kind of reconciliation. Pastor Andrew, my parents, I know they mean the best, and they want the best for me, but they just drive me so crazy at times, but I'm so mean to them all the time, and I don't know why. There's so many stories in this room here today, and there'll be Maybe many of you feeling the weight of guilt and shame and condemnation and you feel unfit for use and you feel that God is done with you, that he would never waste his time on someone like you, that you're too big of a project. Or maybe worse yet, you've been told that by other people. Or maybe worse yet, you actually went to a church and there were pastors and elders that slapped that condemnation label on you and says, until you stop doing X, Y, and Z, you have no part of us. I mean, you can't even come here let alone serve. And if that's what you've been taught, you were taught wrong. You should have been taught Romans 8 a little bit more. Therefore, there is now, 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 no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, sure, there will be consequences, right? There are consequences for sin here on earth. And those will vary in severity, and they're going to vary in quantity. But upstairs in heaven, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The relationships down here might be broken altogether, but you can never ever break the relationship between you and God because you need to know, as we read earlier, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, the future, any powers, height, depth, anything else in all of creation, that's including your sin and mine nothing will be able to separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus our lord amen Amen. the question though is are you in christ jesus are you because the bad news is if you're not in christ jesus all there is is condemnation I mean, listen to John 3, 16 through 18. I know we love verses 16 and 17. You probably have those memorized, but listen along with verse 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Listen to verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You see, game, unbelief in Jesus is to stand condemned, but to believe in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior is to be in Christ Jesus, is to be connected to Christ Jesus, and because of that, there is no condemnation in your life. Emmaus Road, you've got to listen up. Your feelings can't be the Lord of your life. They can't. And if they are, what you have to do over and over again is quote the facts of scripture. And hopefully over time by the power of the Holy Spirit that your feelings will start to line up with the facts of Romans 8.1. If I can encourage you to memorize any scripture, Romans 8.1, there probably is not a greater verse than Romans 8.1 that you will just cling to in your daily walk with the Lord. Because I tell you, when the enemy starts whispering and even when he's shouting, God doesn't want anything to do with you. You're condemned. You've blown it. You've exhausted his grace. When that happens, and it will happen, because Satan loves to tell those lies, you need to be reminded of this truth, that Jesus didn't come to condemn you, but to save you. When you say, how in the world can that be? I've got got all this stuff in my past. I'm so messed up. How can no condemnation come my way? And so verses two through four, the apostle Paul is gonna explain how. Here's how, verse two, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so what the apostle Paul is saying here is that there is a law of sin and death of try harder and perform that leads to exhaustion. And then there's the law of the spirit of life that leads to freedom. And so if you're not experiencing some level of freedom in your Christian walk, then what you're doing is that you're putting the burden of performance on yourself instead of trusting in Christ's performance for you. Now, for those of you who were here last week, Pastor Brandon talked about this war, this internal spiritual war that wages on within us against evil and sin and Satan. And so there is work to do, there is, but here's the kicker. Christ Jesus has set us free, gang, to war against those things. You see, gangs, as Christians, we are always fighting from victory, not for victory. Big difference. I've read the book. I've read the Bible from cover to cover, and over and over and over and over again, it says that the battle is already won, that Jesus has fought the good fight that you couldn't and I couldn't fight. It's done. The battle is over. The game is over. The scorekeeping is final. This is what the Apostle Paul is teaching here Christ Jesus has set us free to live by the Spirit. And, and not the law, because the victory is already ours in him. Emmaus wrote, you, you got to get this. Because that's true, because that's true, we are free from the performance trap. And we're free from pretending. This means that, that God's not in love with some future version of you. Do you know what I'm talking about? That God loves you on your good days, and he's frustrated with you on your bad days. I mean, let's be honest, how many of you feel like that at times? We all fall prey to that. It also means that we're free from pretending. And let's be honest again, some of the worst pretenders on planet Earth are church-going Christians on Sunday. How you doing? I'm doing great. Oh, really? Because on social media, it looks like your life is going crazy. You sure you're okay? may heard hear this in christ we are free why how because through christ jesus verse 2 jesus the law of the spirit of life who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death look at verse 3 for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh god did who did say it with conviction god did you don't save you you don't free you god does For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. In other words, gang, religious rule-keeping cannot save you. Gang, listen up. There is no amount of penance that you can do to earn the forgiveness that you so desperately need. None. I'll tell you where religious rule-keeping will lead you because I went down that road for a long time, even growing up in a pastor's house. It will lead you to three different places. It will lead you to pride, thinking that you're better than everybody else. It'll lead you possibly to exhaustion, like, man, I can't keep this up. Or it's going to lead you to hopelessness, where Paul just ends in Romans 7, what a wretched man, what a wretched woman I am. That's where it leads. But being a Christian gang isn't about sin management, it's about a relationship with Jesus. But sin management, unfortunately, if we're honest, is what a lot of us were brought up in. Like, if you're going to be a good Christian, then you have to do X, Y, and Z, and you've got to abstain from this, that, and the other thing, and and stay away from that. And by your own effort, you try to manage it, and you try to hold it down. But here's the deal. When you engage in sin management, it's like trying to hold an inflated ball underneath the water. Have you ever tried that? Come on. I know it's not just kids. Adults, you still do it, too. And, And how long can you hold it underneath the water? Well, there's a lot of factors that vary in there, like how strong you are, your concentration. And most likely, you're at the pool or some kind of lake, and so maybe you're outside, and so you got some suntan lotion on your hands, and your hands might be kind of greasy. Depends on what kind of ball it is. Has it got some grip? Is it a football? Is it a basketball? Or is it a beach ball? Or, or some kind of ball that doesn't have a whole lot of roughness around it. It depends on if people are bumping into you or not. It depends on your, your concentration or you're getting bored eventually. But I promise you, if you try it, it will lead to exhaustion. And then at some point, that ball will come up to the surface. And I don't know if you've ever witnessed that or not, but you try holding a ball underneath the water, and when it resurfaces, it doesn't resurface very gently, does it? It's like an explosion, and it comes back up in your face. And gang, that's workspace righteousness, That's the law of trying harder and performing on your own, by yourself, which leads to sin and death. And you say, I got this, I got this. But Jesus on the cross says, you don't got this. I got this. In fact, I got you. I got your back. And if you're wondering where the gospel is in this analogy, it's not Jesus coming along and and cheering you on saying, man, try harder, good job, you got it, push through, keep going, you're almost there. No, Jesus comes along and he whips out his pocket knife and he slashes that ball altogether. And he says, now you just look like a silly person holding something underneath the water that has no power over you. It's gone, it's not even there. That's what verse 4 means when Paul writes that that God actually condemns sin. I love that. Verse 3, it says, He condemns sin in the flesh. Verse 4, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Praise God that He doesn't condemn us. But He condemns our sin. All the sin in the past, present, and the future by his substitutionary death on the cross so that we can be actually become the righteousness of God what a gracious exchange that is for those who are in Christ Jesus he got all of our sin and death and we got all of his perfection and life amen missrod you have been set free in Christ Jesus. Gang, what seems too good to be true is actually the most comforting, hope-giving, renewing truth in the world. And here it is, that regardless of what you have done or failed to do, what you're guilty of, or how miserable you feel about yourself, you if you are in Christ Jesus, you are right now under the completely sufficient, imputed, gifted righteousness of Christ Jesus. Your pardon is full. It's final, because on the cross, he cried out, It is finished. There are no strings attached. There are no conditions. There are no lines in the sand. There are no footnotes. There are no ifs, ands, or buts. You are forgiven, and there's no condemnation because Jesus was condemned for you on the cross. And so as the old hymn puts it, and I love hymns, and this one is right up there for me, well, may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all, I know them well, and thousands more. But my God, can you finish it with me? He knoweth none. You think on that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. This amazing grace that we've been singing about and hearing about today. Lord, would you empower us by your spirit to fall in love with this more and more so that as we leave this place today and go back into our spheres of influence that we will continue to demonstrate and declare your inexhaustible grace to this exhausted world because it so desperately needs it. We pray this all in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.